0: Hi everyone and welcome. This is Seek Sustainable Japan. I'm Gigi Walsh, your host in Hiroshima, Japan. And today I have the pleasure of talking with Richard Pierce in Totori. Thank you so much for joining, Richard.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me on. Um, It's been a while since we started talking about doing it. So finally, the day has arrived.
0: Finally, yeah. it has arrived, and, and you are in a very interesting area of Japan that actually most people never visit, uh, most people don't know much about. We had one other person in the talk show from Tatori, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but you are doing so many interesting things, uh, mostly it seems around the Dyson area, is that right?
1: Mostly, yeah, I mean... Um, I- in Dyson, I bought a uh, piece of land which came with a uh, Akia which we're renovating now. Uh, um, but where
0: where you're talking to us from, right? Yeah, no, no, this oh, one is cool.
1: different. So this is a guest house which is in a fishing village at the bottom of Mount Dyson. So I live halfway up, um, where the nearest neighbor lives about a 15 minute walk away, and. So the chickens and the goats can make as much noise as they like, and not we won't get any complaints. Well, not yet anyway.
0: Nice. Uh, originally yeah. from the UK, right?
1: That's right. I'm from the Cotswolds in England, so I was, a, you know, I've always been a country boy, so to speak. So Totori fits my character quite well. Have you, know? you
0: always always been kind of because a lot of your projects and your business, your tourism everything is a real sustainable focus or so doing what we can to help the environment. Uh, do you remember when you started getting interested in that? Can you? Uh,
1: that? The, the travel side of things or the nature side of things, which, which. Or, Either. Or, or, so, I mean, uh, growing up in a small village in the countryside, um, my first love was butterflies. Actually, we had a butterfly, uh, What was it? What's the tree I'm thinking of? Anyway, a tree that attracts butterflies in the front garden. So I got to learn about those and then I moved on to birds. So I've always been interested in um, nature and it was my dream from a young age to be a safari guide, actually. And um, back in 2010 or nine, was it? I, um, actually trained to be a safari guide, got my license and kind of ticked that box before realizing, um, it's not really is a difficult way to make a living doing that in Africa. So, but that, you know, fed into, I, I traveled a lot and always wanted, always tried to travel to kind of adventurous places and see the countryside and see the animals. So that kind of led to me getting more of an understanding about sustainable travel and low impact travel and, um, kind of a way that travel can help support wildlife in the places you visit. So that's something I've always been interested in and something I'm doing these days myself as much as possible.
0: Wow that's it's great and you've just started this really interesting nonprofit, profit a sustainable dyson kit okay, let's start with that because that's a major new project uh how did that start tell us a bit about it
1: yeah and it's certainly become a major project it wasn't the um the overall that the um the main aim wasn't to be this huge npo in the beginning uh, basically, I started doing um Japanese giant salamander um, kind of conservation experiences back in two thousand and eighteen. I think it was with dr Okada who's the leading expert in the world about salamanders Japanese giant salamanders I should say and we welcome lots of people, uh, from the U S especially who would come to Japan specifically to come and do our experience specifically to tick their, you know, bucket list animal, Japanese giant salmon and see that in the wild. And due to that, then I also found out that where my, where I'm speaking from now, um, Mikuria uh, in Dyson Town, so on the north face of Mount Dyson. It's a really important and a very unique environment, um, habitat for Japanese giant salamanders because, um, uh, because of the kind of unique geographical features and uh, historical and cultural aspects of Mount Dyson it means that the Japanese giant salamanders breed in this area which is relatively close to the ocean so it's the only place in the world with a, a breeding population of Japanese giant salamanders so close to the ocean but what, what that also means is that it's in amongst people and where there's people there's trouble for wildlife generally so because of that, um, we, I, I, I became aware of the the need for urgent action. Um, if you stop on that photograph, if you go oh, back, wait. you can. So just behind there, you can see, um, weirds So like concrete, like not dams exactly, but artificial barriers in the river. And the, the, the Nawa river, um, Basin here has been highly, um, well, damaged. I guess you could say. Um, so, lots of these artificial barriers have been installed in the river, which stops the movement of the salamanders. So, the uh, the initial goal was just to do a a campaign to push for the the government to put artificial ramps so that the the um, salamanders could move up and down to breed and to find food and to find shelter um, but then it kind of we discussed it and it basically it was decided that in order to reach out to Japanese people we need something quite official and therefore we created this nonprofit organization called sustainable Dyson sorry that was a very long-winded
0: No, no, very important.
1: But then Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's, there's other, a lot of different things that you're doing as a part of that, uh, there's other organizations around the world, of course, um, having similar trouble when the rivers are dammed. uh, how do salmon get Mm, upstream, for example, um, lots of innovative ideas. I I saw at one point you were picking them up and carrying them to another area. Um, no? no. (laughs)
1: Okay. <laughs> no, that
0: might that might have been someone else with salamanders when I yeah, was reading you about you guys.
1: Shouldn't do that. Um, you, well, the thing about Japanese giant salamanders is is that they're uh, considered an, a national treasure, a national monument, um, and they've been protected in Japan since 1952, which means that only licensed researchers can legally touch them. Right, so people, you can't just go to the river and lift them up there up the weir but what this so it means so the protection is there so basically they were being eaten out of existence back then um but the problem isn't just that the problem is that the the rivers in which they live are being altered hugely so if you concrete around them you concrete up the riverside you make the rivers straighter and basically destroy the home of the salamanders, then it doesn't matter if you can't touch them because they're going to die anyway, right? So this is something, it's like for, for many people, oh, it's a special it's a national monument with, you know, they're being taken care of, but they're really not. And that's basically something we wanted to address and make people aware of that because no, they're not fine. Just because they're protected, really, really, they're not fine. And there's a real chance that they're going to die out in the next 20 years if action isn't taken over the next three, four, five years. Um, and then something that's brought up here is you've got salamanders in the middle of that picture. So it's not about just protecting the animals, it's protecting our, our whole thing is that we, you need to protect the whole environment in which um, the salamanders live. Uh, So we have forest projects because there's, um, so we can see Dyson forest rewilding because Japanese forests have big problems because they're um, something like 44% of the forests in Japan are artificial. And we could talk for hours about that as well if you want. Um, (laughs) But so we're doing project let's
0: just, let's just okay. mention there that you're doing a lot of fantastic collaborations with um mm. so for example with the giant salamanders you're working with an amazing researcher mm. uh dr sumio okada and uh doing yeah. making sure that the salamanders are really well taken care of for the rewilding it sounds like you're working with totori university professors is that right
1: yeah so totori environmental university um so we're actually working with them in regards to all of our projects, actually. Um, so we have forest projects. We ha- So basically, um, for those who can read the kanji in the middle there, you've got forest, river, town and hatake, what's that? Fields, I guess you could say. Farming um so our projects yeah so it's you need to to take care of the forests in order to take care of the salamanders. obviously you need to take care of the river so the town part is basically education we need to to tell people in the villages and towns about the 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 truth and the situation on you know as it is now and also um clean water chemical free water is very important for amphibians overall so we're looking at um Doing organic farming projects and also supporting the organic farming movement in this area and beyond, and so yes, we we're, we're, we're seeking um, expert advice for for each part that we do, each project area. And in regards for Sensei, so he's the, the the world's leading authority. But he's actually, so he's very busy man, as you might imagine. So he's not exactly, he's not, he's not hands on involved in this project. It was because of him that I set this up. He mentioned the, the, his desire for local people to do something. I'm not exactly local, but I live here, if you know what I mean, I'm, I'm new local. So, and um, we are reaching out to local people and getting them and finding a way to get them involved that that's been key actually um, because our talks with local people have shown that they've been honest and said well you know for them the Sanamandis aren't anything particularly special because they've seen them in the rivers growing up but what is important to them is the water quality for their farms for their rice fields so they One of our big um, mission is to test the water quality and we all know there are certain issues and we all know what's causing that. And so their angle is if you can do the water testing and prove that something needs doing about the water quality, then we will support you with the salamander project. So that's, so it's okay, it's involving local people kind of almost indirectly, but whatever works really if we get their support we get their support
0: and you're you're doing projects with students so you've got the education side of it uh, in terms of rewilding or uh, seeing about the salamander's life so you're also working with businesses because you're trying to encourage organic farming and uh, more sustainable practices there is a lot involved mm-hmm.
1: in yes. what you're doing it's amazing it's yeah it's it's become a bit of a a, a river monster itself to be honest but in, in a in a in a fun way but you know my my um, my wife is japanese and she's taken on um she had no experience of setting these you know an mpo up or doing these kind of things but she's done it and she's been amazing so a big thank you to her if she's listening so, um, but those, the pictures you showed there, actually, they were high school kids from Tokyo. So sustainable, uh, yeah, SDG tours for schools coming in from Osaka and Tokyo is, is another angle, um, that we're, we're pursuing and already moving, obviously, cause you can see them. So that's actually in my own field there. We we, um planted some potatoes and it's just on the edge of there, we're going to do the forest rewilding. So just on the edge there, we also planted the first trees. Nice. Yeah. So that's Stephanie. So the education part is not just for the, the youth of Totori. We want to kind of spread the message across Japan and, you know, and just to get people to think about, you know, Everything they buy has a cost that's not just the one that's, you know, the monetary cost and just to, yeah.
0: I think that's really smart. And like you're doing with tourism, mm. uh, introducing it to the inbound market who come to Totori as well. Yes. Uh, doing SDG tours for Tokyo students as well as local students. Mm. Um, the more, the wider reach that you can have, the better effect you're going to have, I would imagine.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's uh, that's the plan. It's just to you know, spread the word and, and get people thinking and yeah put Totori on the map in a good way and have it kind of the image be of nature and 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 because that's what we've got right it's the smallest population in japan and instead of being a kind of bad, a negative point or even a it's a sort kind of almost like a source of shame for some people i feel in sotori they feel a bit you know and a bit of a laughed at by people from tokyo but for me, is like, who, but we have not the salamander. Just about life in Tory and being a kind of backwater. But um, I want to kind of, I I think it should be something to be proud of. Like yeah. who who who's the smart ones really? Who we get to live with clean air and we all have our own fields and, you know what I mean? We're not yeah, paying definitely.
0: In the, I think in the next five years. Uh, People in the cities are going to start to really be jealous of people living in the rural areas that are, are cleaner and closer to nature and closer to resources that you need for a high quality life, right?
1: yes yeah i think so i mean what if that's the case anyone thinking about that now's the time to come to to, to, well the next 10 years it's going to empty out for sure you know yeah Uh, it's already pretty empty but it's going to get it's going it's going to be emptier and and yeah now
0: you did you had a very exciting plug from an international youtuber who really helped shine a light on the salamanders of Totori. And especially focused on your tours with Bushido Japan Mm. and your collaboration with Dr. Okada. Yes. Uh, How did that happen? That's a very exciting collaboration.
1: Yeah, so Brave Wilderness have been really great since the beginning of this whole plan, really. And I've spoken to them even this week about various things. Um, Well, basically because we're, we're, well, we as in, me, I guess my company is the only um, English English speaking um, Japanese giant salamander experience uh, provider. If that makes sense. So even if if you search for any information in English about Japanese giant salamanders, until I, I, I'm obviously biased, but. Until we put our website up, the information out there was terrible, right? really, and, just like, and actually almost shameful, some of the reporting and what people were doing and videos on YouTube of being, you know, manhandling really rough with them and that kind of stuff. So one of our big aims was to put correct and detailed information about salamanders. So basically, anyway, so they they wanted to come to Japan and they wanted to film the Japanese giant salamanders so simply they googled it and my company came up in the in English language and then we started talks and we've been um, working together ever since
0: yeah that's, it, that's yeah. absolutely incredible um, so in in your research, uh, when you go out with your tours, mm. it looks like um, your okarasan is the only one handling the giant mm. salamanders usually um, mm. but the guests can help with the measuring and really learn how to spot them in the water and yeah. other interesting points of, of finding them. I, they're incredible creatures.
1: They, they are. I mean, they're, they're really a special animal in the world. And so they haven't changed pretty much for 23 million years. They're considered a living dinosaur. <laughs> and even though, I mean, like I said, I, I, I trained as a safari guide, I've, I've traveled the world looking for rare animals. And I lived in Tottori and I didn't ever think I'd have a chance to um, ever see one in the world, to be honest. Just I like thought they're too elusive and you have to know where to look. Um, so, yeah, so basically we, we give that opportunity and then genuinely when the guests come, the data collected is, is really useful for conservation purposes. So, yeah that's really we uh, have
0: a we have a comment from brad pearson on facebook don't eat the manders we love them
1: yeah i, yeah. I won't don't worry <laughs> actually i'm vegetarian anyway these days so definitely
0: <laughs> what do they have predators i was going to ask you that uh just sometimes they eat each other
1: yeah like- i mean pretty much a uh, sanamanda will eat anything that swims past his mouth that they that they think that they can get in there and um like you know, snakes that are way bigger than them, they'll sometimes swallow. But yeah, they don't. Uh, they don't have any um natural predators in the wild here. When when they're smaller, then yes, other larger salamanders will eat them, just because it's meat-like object near its mouth is not something. Not, they they don't actively hunt them.
0: But it it looks like their mouth is just jaws. It doesn't look like they have teeth.
1: They In do. Size. They they have two rows of very sharp teeth and but they they do the the death roll spin thing as well. <laughs> but so they're very very jagged, yeah, very sharp teeth. Um but they've they're really really gentle giants. Um so yeah, I mean Okada Sensei shown me a picture of of his finger that's been cut up. Cut up once, but he's handled salamanders thousands of times, and nothing happens. Really, um, but in turn you no, know, they they basically don't have any natural predators in Japan. The biggest problem is obviously, like most places, humans.
0: Yes, but and at least, at least in as well, yes,
1: right? yeah. So like, so they were, yeah, eaten a lot. As Brad Pearson is pointing out, but pretty much as far as I'm aware anyway, since 1952, when they were it became protected as a national treasure, that has largely, um, that problem is largely fixed. It might s- still go on in small scale, I've heard that a little bit, but that's not really a conservation issue these days unlike for example chinese giant salamanders and who have been almost eaten out of existence in the wild but there's you know f- farmed they're farmed in other parts of the world to, specifically for meat. Mm.
0: Well, I didn't I didn't realize they were eaten but yeah. 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 Um let's switch gears a little bit and talk about bushido Japan okay. and yamabushi. Mm. I talked to Tim Bunting, uh, who's a Yamabushi uh, guide mm. and Yamabushi insider in the Tohoku area. Uh, are you doing Yamabushi tours or anything, or is just a personal thing for you?
1: Yeah, it's, I don't exactly do Yamabushi tours, although recently I've done more... Um, like waterfall training with the priests at Mitoku san. So basically my Yamabushi connection, if that's what I can call it, came about because I became good friends with the head priest's son, who's also a priest at Mitoku-san. So Mitoku-san is a um very important shugendo. So Yamabushi are gyoja, which are trainees of shugendo, which is a kind of how would you define shugendo um a mixture a blend of shinto buddhism and asceticism mountain worship that dates back to year well the we were this out the 7th century japan and the founder of um shugendo was enno gyoja and he was said to have thrown three lotus um blossoms, petals, whichever one, up into the air and instructed them to land at the three most sacred Shugendo sites. And basically one of those was mitoku So it's basically, it's considered one of the three most sacred sites. So I became friends with the guy who's also wearing the white robe in the picture with me there. Um, and I've, because of our friendship and my kind of support of Mitokusan as a place for people to visit, especially inbound. I've been invited over the years to join uh, the ceremonies, the official ceremonies. So for example, in this picture and that one it was last year, it was, um, that's the real deal. That was not cosplay or something. It was actual, the actual ceremony. And if you look, so that that temple there behind me was it's at least a thousand years old this structure itself but it dates back to the year 733 and it's deep in the mountain and you walk along a course there um so yeah so basically my love of san has and my friendship with the priests has led to me getting involved in kind of yamabushi mountain priest activities but then i've also been Kind of connected with other Shugendo groups, and there's one um, in in Wani Wani Ontake group, and I've done programages on on Ontake with them, with Jan. You, I think Jan might be listening. Jan Williams, you should interview her. I think if you haven't already, she's a professor that um, is a expert in all these kind of things. And um, yeah, and then the more I've got, you know looked into the beliefs and and tried to practice them myself and I can definitely see the connection of, of how um, you need to look at the mountains are a gift from the gods and you need to take care of them in order to live healthily beneath them which sort of ties in everything into sustainable Dyson's kind of goals and where you you know you need to look after the whole mountain environment in order for us to live healthily in the valleys and villages below definitely does this
0: connect this spiritual side of it does it connect to your tours in bhutan as well
1: uh indirectly um i think bhutan that so basically the bhutan story is that basically uh, many of my customers coming japan to japan often said that Bhutan was on their bucket list of countries to go to. And I didn't know much about Bhutan myself. So I just went there and I um, got into talks with uh, an agent there and basically decided, let's, you know, I'm, I'm sure I can bring customers. How about we just make, put a tour together. And then since then, our relationship has grown, and I've taken multiple groups there, really. But Bhutan is the ultimate sustainable SDGs um, country, really. High quality over quantity tourism. Uh, 60%, 65% of the country is forested, more than half is national parks. They banned plastic bags like 15, 20 years ago or something and every tourist it's because it's high-end every you know there's a sort of almost like uh well, a lot of the money that you you spend visiting goes into community projects so healthcare health care is free for all Bhutanese people education is free and that's a lot of mostly paid for by tourism so it's if you want yeah uh, somewhere that's um, the ultimate environmental, environmentally aware and friendly country, then Bhutan's that.
0: Well, you know, even going through some places in Japan, for example, we were passing through Kudashiki in Okayama, and the government has <laughs> invested money in protecting the heritage historical area. And in the morning before the tourists came, I mm. went out, and all the locals were enjoying it and they love that area and they love how it's been preserved and they're so welcoming to me mm. so when you take care of local people mm. it is better not only for local people it's better for tourism for the absolutely. long term that's right?
1: right yeah absolutely it's it's everything is connected and if if you remove that connection then it just starts to fall apart, which was a little bit of what we were seeing before COVID with the kind of unsustainable travel that Japan was engaged in and hopefully have learned lessons from.
0: So can you think of any strategies that you see in Bhutan in place um, that might work in Japan in terms of, of how tourism can fund projects which improve the life of locals?
1: Big question. Yeah, that is a big question. But, I mean, it, it, I think that it, if the, if there was more of a shift towards quality over quantity, then that could only be beneficial, I would think. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a big question. But, I mean, there's so many similarities between Bhutan in, in, and Japan, really, because Bhutan was an isolated country. And you know, no foreigners were allowed in until actually right up until like the 1950s. So, and Japan obviously has a history of that. Um, You know, quite the mountains, spiritual mountains and mountain worshipping religions. Um, And in many cases, the Japanese and the Bhutanese look very similar as well, actually. It's quite interesting how that happens. And there are some relationships between Japan and Bhutan now, but yeah, I think, yeah, I'm not really quite sure off the top of my head how those projects can be implemented other than stop just trying to get as many people in the door as possible and, and think more carefully about, um, you know, how you can make the experience more enjoyable for both the host and the guest.
0: Absolutely. And I think as we go forward, uh, thinking more about, what does the local people need and let's try to use some of the tourism money to make sure the locals know that Mm. this is from tourism and it's benefiting them so there's an element of education awareness transparency which i think really helps with the welcoming feeling Mm. Um, because if we're going back to status quo just thinking about numbers the locals who are now very stressed and having trouble, you know, everybody's kind of having trouble with business and, uh, you know, nobody's really doing that well. Mm. So if tourism starts coming in by numbers instead of people who really appreciate what they're seeing and doing. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have a lot of friction, right?
1: I, I think so. I think so. And I think that the, the the overall strategy of the Japanese government to push the same kind of programs is part of the problem and um, there's a lot of lip service paid to promoting um, tourism in less famous spots such as Totori or Shimane Um, but there doesn't seem to be much real action it seems to be a lot of talk only So, I think that needs to change and there actually needs to be genuine um, programs put in place, they're actually kind of um, the results need to be judged too, don't just say, let's do it and then you know, make something go, okay, we've done it now, that's, that's fine. No, you need to, is it working? If it's not working properly, how can we make it better and then implement those changes? So, that kind of thinking from the beginning all the way through needs to improve for sure.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: But I have no idea how you're going to change that really. That's kind of a (laughs) deep cultural issue perhaps, but something I think is going to have to be worked out to be honest.
0: But I I think making the targets, Setting things in motion, mm-hmm. assessing mm-hmm. along the way, choosing uh, yeah. the best possible option, reassessing exactly. new targets. You know, yes. these are all usual yes. long-term strategies for success that we hope
1: yes. will happen. Yes, we hope, but
0: <laughs> that we always we suggest. W- we'll
1: see. Yes. Um,
0: let's talk about some of the other amazing tourism assets that you have in Totori, which you are also introducing to people. Uh it looks like you do a lot of cycling tours?
1: Yes. So I s- actually started doing cycling tours for when I worked for Inside Japan Tours as a tour leader. And I used to do their cycling tours around the Noto Peninsula. So that's how I kind of got. I wasn't too, I've always been fit and into sports, so I wasn't much of a cyclist before doing those, but that really opened my eyes. And that made me realize The potential for the Sanin region, which is the Sanin region, it's Shimane and Totori, basically. Um, Yeah, what what an amazing area um, this is for cycling. Um, You know, many, many countryside roads without basically any traffic on at all amazing you got views of both the mountains and the oceans you can go across and take the ferry over to Yoki Islands which is like a almost perfect uh like cycling paradise really because it's you know it's not just about the flats the climbs and the the downhills are all part of the the joy as well so I, I started running tours through the Sanin or by bike about I'm not sure now, for five years ago, something like that. And already we've had guests from Sweden, Australia, America, Canada, France, uh, and a, a few more, which I've forgotten. But, but really, it's, yeah, in a few people, slow life, that this is, the, for me, That that's the perfect ingredients for a cycling destination. And also for me, it's the, like I, I don't want to be where there's thousands of other cyclists everywhere as well. Do you know what I mean? Which is getting the case now because kind of almost the over promotion of specific cycling routes in Japan. I mean, that's my opinion. That's not, you know, that's all it is. But uh, I'd rather cycle and be kind of just our group amongst the villages, not, you know bumping elbows with other cyclists the whole time. But yeah, so I'm actually working on a new tour, which is going to, uh, well, I've already got customers booked in repeat customers, but it's kind of like a, a super extreme version of what I've done before with daily climbs of more than 2000 meters. Some days we cycle like 130 kilometers. So really going deep into the mountains. But, the, but my kind of new angle on it is like, okay, if you're really a fit cyclist and want a, an epic kind of hard tour, this is for you. But if, you're, if you want to see those areas, but you're not so kind of hardcore, then there's the option to use electrically assisted bikes. Because generally until now, my feeling is that in Japan, like the view of electrically assisted cycling is like for people that don't like cycling, who are not fit. And maybe that's the case if that's the only option that is on offer. But I think if you use them to to lift, so if your level is kind of intermediate by using a, a kind of electrically assisted bike, then you can go up to a kind of advanced level or whatever you want to call it, tough level tour. And then you get to see a completely different side of Japan. Where you know, where if you get deep in the mountains here, the the view, the energy, the wildlife is just really epic. So I that's why I've considered it the Japan's most epic tour. So the first yeah, tour is great. Yeah, so if you want to join,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I will suggest it to okay. lots of my cyclist friends. Yes. Yeah.
1: Great. So like I said, so I'm working on that. There was literally booking hotels for that this morning. So um, it will be on my website within a few, within a week, hopefully. And then it's due to run early November, which is the best time for um, autumn color in this region. So,
0: yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. and it, It sounds like you've done a similar thing in terms of the hiking courses as well. Um, mm-hmm. You you offer a range of hiking yeah. days yes. uh, from beginners to quite extreme people mm-hmm. who want to really go for it, who are at a really high fitness level. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So that that's basically in, uh, here at, on Mount Dyson. So Mount, uh, many people come by themselves to Mount Dyson, and they do what's the standard route, which is called the Natsuyama Course. And to be honest, like you don't necessarily need a guide to do that. Of course, by hiring a guide, you can get extra value and learn um, different things that you wouldn't know uh, if you did it yourself. But that Dyson has so many other routes, which unless you live here and um, For me, it was about going out with the local old guys who've been hiking for the last 50 years and learning the courses. Then it's really basically almost impossible to do some of the more um, advanced courses, which are about 8 to 10 hours long with several peaks. So Dyson is actually not one peak, it's a series of peaks. So you've got those there at the top of that picture, but then off to the left-hand side is another another kind of, um, line of peaks as well. So it's going off basically several mountains in one day, but all within the Dyson area and like that, you know, along ridges and stuff like that. So you don't need to be, you don't need any specialist equipment. You just need to know the route. So like here is that's called Godzilla's backbone. And that's really, um, an adventurous part of the, of of that particular hike. And then, of course, as you're showing there, um, winter in Dyson is really special as well. So even though, so Dyson is a mountain that's 700 and something meters high, but because of its position right next to the Sea of Japan, in winter it has the weather conditions of a mountain that's more than 3,000 meters high. So that's quite extreme. So it gets thick snow and once you get to a certain point, it's like you you're entering another planet. It's really crazy. So I do offer those tours as well in winter, along with snowshoeing at slightly lower levels. But basically, yeah, I've got, you know, if you want to come to Dyson and have fun, whatever the level, whatever fitness level or adventure level whatever you have then I've probably got something for you
0: that's awesome it is amazing yeah. and it's a great way for you to keep fit as yeah. well yeah, um, absolutely. Do, you, do you have staff or are you doing everything
1: mostly I do everything um, I might have to think about that moving forward as I'm busy with the MPO stuff but yeah, uh, mostly I do that. If I have cycling, then I employ support staff. And for like my cycling tours, if they're sort of 10 days or two weeks, then I have you know, a support van driver and, and usually a support cyclist as well. But if it's day, uh, Dyson day hikes and things like that, it's basically me. So an interesting quick point about Dyson and why a guide is good for these courses is because they used to sell a map. Um, quite detailed map and used to be able to get it quite easily, but because they didn't want to maintain the routes and the signs specifically and they stopped selling the, the maps. So like, if we don't provide the maps, then people won't go there. I'm like, (laughs) I don't know about that, but just, okay. So that's why I've managed to get one of these maps and it's in one of my prized possessions and uh and even if you have the map it's still hard to know where it is unless you go there so that's the importance like i said i, I go out hiking with 75 year old you know mountain guys that you know that i met in the um, in the onsen and uh and that's the best way to learn all the local knowledge so then i've so i've spent years gaining that knowledge and then i can pass that on to my guests
0: that's a really important tip i would say it's great to get a guide uh, anywhere in japan uh because there's always things that the guides can introduce you to that you cannot get from uh online resource or a guidebook they yeah. just they know the area they know the people
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, what you're saying about hiking and cycling um snow sports snowshoeing, a lot of the things you do as well definitely want insider knowledge for yeah. sure
1: yeah i, I think so it's, it's about value right so you, you yeah i mean there's a lot of places you don't need a guide and you can do it yourself and sure if that's your that's your thing then no problem but if you spend money big amount of money to get there why not spend a bit more and get more you know deeper understanding and and ultimately a lot more enjoyment from your time there so that's you know that's the value of us guides
0: absolutely yeah and uh, you spend all the money and time and effort to get there and uh, have mm. you ever like visited somewhere I mean you didn't plan ahead you just kind of ended up somewhere you walk around you're like this is nice and then you meet somebody later and they're like oh did you see such and such that's really good there and you're like what yeah right so you don't want to have that happen for like your trip of a lifetime when you come to this area right Right.
1: exactly exactly and yeah i mean yeah and especially if you're if you know obviously if you're traveling alone then it's more but if you're in a small group and everyone pays a little bit then that's even that's the best way to do it if you can do it like that
0: Yeah. I want to talk about the salamanders again, um, sure. but I want before we go back to the salamanders, oh. uh, tell us about your guest house because I was just at the Minka Summit, so yeah. everybody's all excited about remodeling these old houses that have been abandoned, and uh, your guest house looks really cute.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's called Ritchi Yado, which is obviously a play, a play on my name, Richard. So in Japanese, it's Ritchi Yado. And um, yeah, it was never my dream to be an innkeeper. You know, Basil Fawlty and all that kind of stuff. If you're English, you get all those comparisons. If you know what well that who that is. Um, but basically, a how do you call it, machi sukuri, like a local town development group, knew that I was um, experienced in bringing inbound customers to this area. And one of the ideas they had to kind of re, um, regenerate and put new energy into this fishing village here at the Bomb of Dyson was to open a guest house which would attract foreigners to stay. So they actually asked me if I would start a guest house here and that was on um, in there were certain local and regional government grants available which they organized to pay for the renovations basically so yeah I put I ended up putting some of my own money into it just to get it up to the level that I was happy with but to be honest a, a lot of it came through government programs and one of the one of the financial um, packages if you want to call it that grants was Young People's um, Project Money. And I was 39 at the time, which I found quite funny. But 39 around here is, you know, wet behind the ears. So, yeah, I enjoyed being a young person for a while there.
0: I noticed that, you know, that a lot of the government grants, they'll say uh, under 40s. Like this is partly focused on supporting entrepreneurs under 40. And you're like, hey, I've got like 30 more years of career left at my age. <laughs> What's up with the under 40s?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I I didn't even realize that I only just sneaked in under the under the I'm level. I'm glad there. you
0: got but, it. But, it's a beautiful, yeah. it's a beautiful remodel. I thought you did a great job. Um, I I love the rama, the old style across the top, the wooden beam.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a nice combination of modern comfort and classic style.
1: Yes, that's right. I mean, (laughs) yeah. So we have quite, you know, Japanese kitchens are not the best part of Japanese culture in in my experience. So we've basically kind of got a Western uh, kitchen with a huge... Stove from it's actually that I've got a, a slightly newer one now, but you can see that's like a a normal American or British style cooker, as we would say. So it's great for cooking for you know groups of ten people or whatever. So and the countertops are at a height which is more foreigner friendly, if you know what I'm saying. But then the bedrooms are you know tatami. So it's, yeah, it's definitely a blend of the better points of Western and Japanese accommodation that will, that was the, the plan and pre pre COVID we were, yeah, pretty busy, especially for Hong Kong, um, inbound guests. We used to get regularly get groups of 10 to 15 people come and stay for five, six days. So that, they were, that was really great. But obviously, that's completely dried up at the moment. But we'll see what happens with that in the future.
0: Yeah, because I was going to say, you know, you're doing like the, the usual recommendation for if you're going to live in the rural areas, um, you're, you've got a diverse income stream from different, different jobs.
1: Really, but- that's so important
0: unfortunately they're all in tourism and they were all hit hard during coronavirus, but Mm. hopefully that helps uh, a bit more security monthly, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that being diverse is important, but also the overheads are low here, right? So Mm -hmm. that was key. And um, I I used to have a lot of um, work away as I don't know if you've come across this program. There's a website called, workaway.info and it's similar to woofing where people it can be japanese people as well but mostly it's foreigners come and, and they want to work for a month or something like that and you give them accommodation into in exchange for work and also some some money as well so that that and that you know, keeps everything more interesting. Finding like regular part-time staff around here for just Japanese people is, is quite difficult actually. Right.
0: Yeah. Everybody's feeling the labor crunch. And I think we'll see that when tourism resumes, we're going to see a lot more lobbies without staff, like people having to check in only computerized, right? For
1: sure. Um, They just
0: don't have the staff.
1: Yeah, and it's going to, yeah, especially the first six months or so, I think it's going to be the um, demand is going to be outstripping the supply, but they'll probably still try and do it anyway because they need the money, right? So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what things are created to get around that problem.
0: Yeah. A quick question from YouTube, from Frass. Uh, Where did you get the cooker in Japan?
1: So, um No, it was imported from America. So I, I, yeah, I, I, the, the, the guy that did the renovation, the carpenter of this house is actually an American guy that's lived in Japan about 35 years. So he often imports this and that. So that's the good way to do that. Nice.
0: Mm. A great comment from the Kiwi Yamabushi as a fellow practitioner of Shugendo. I'd love to connect.
1: Hey, yeah, well, please, um, you know, click on my social media links and connect up.
0: Awesome. Uh, Let's go back. Uh, We've got about eight more minutes and end on the Salamander and Sustainable Dyson organization. Fantastic. Um, How can people get involved? How can they support what you're doing? Um, Is there anything you would recommend to anybody else thinking about starting? A similar kind of conservation organization okay
1: so first of all if if you go to our website which is www.sustainable.dyson.org then yeah there's lots of information about who we are about and like I said we tried to make it actually not we tried we have made it the best resource In English, about Japanese giant salamanders anywhere on the internet. But also, there's a page there that says support us. So, if you go there, then I've outlined, you know, how to, you know, obviously we're an MPO, so donations are important to us, but also um, subscribe to our mailing lists and join our social media. And to be honest, if you have other ideas about how you can help, I'm definitely interested in that because this a big part of, of how this project got off the ground was I reached out to ALTs around Japan via the A-Jet web, uh, Facebook groups and made what's called the Salamander, well first I called it the Salamander Army, but then Japanese people found that a bit threatening so I changed it to Salamander Defenders, so all right, so you've got these guys who are all ex-Jets, um, in Japan with various different skill sets who have been amazing at, at you know shooting the video writing some of the articles on the website and you know coming here like Brad there researching the salamanders so if you want to get involved in other ways then please contact me if you want to do your own projects that raise money or, or and or awareness for what we're doing please you know let me know um in terms of starting an npo um my best advice is to marry a japanese person because it's ridiculously complicated and my wife has been an absolute legend and and she's really amazed me i knew she was smart but you know just her the 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 dedication it took to get it over the line was just incredible. So, but it is possible. We did it that both of us have no experience of working for, or certainly not starting in an NPO. So just patience, uh, that J- Japan has, um, like, you know, NPO support offices in pretty much every town, it seems. So you definitely need to or should go and, and contact with them. Almost definitely they won't speak English, though, so that's definitely a barrier if, if you're not fluent. So definitely partnering with someone Japanese would be a good way to go. But
0: yeah, and you you've got a lot of collaborations with universities as well. Um, that seems like a really good way to go. Have you found that really useful? It's, it's having com- the students and the professors? Yeah,
1: to be honest, the especially the last few weeks when already we've made this connection with um, with Totori Environmental University, our projects have moved forward at at, at you know at speeds we couldn't we hadn't dreamed of before so they've been absolutely incredible so if there's an environment if you want to do something with the environment if you can connect with an environmental university well if our interactions are anything to go with then um that they, they, they yeah it's incredible it's definitely the change it's been a game changer and even this morning talking about you know, the ramp situation, I reached out to them and said, you know, this, this uh, just a couple of days ago, I was in the river and it's on my Facebook. And in our Facebook, I posted about it, but we saw 11 huge, um, uh, Japanese giant salamanders, 10 of which were banging their heads up against the concrete weirs trying to move up the river, which they couldn't. So it's you know, extremely bittersweet, um, situation where it's great to see them, but you know, it's terrible. But with that, well, anyway, my point was that, so I just spoke very directly and clearly with them and it's like, you know, we need to do something. Urgency is important. So we're developing a plan right now about how we can move it forward quickly until a more permanent kind of government situation, government fixes is, 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 um, implemented. So yes, the environmental university, and I've I've spoken to a few other lecturers around Japan as well, and that's been useful.
0: And uh, having filmmakers, uh, people can who can get the good quality pictures and videos out, like mm. this video, uh, which I just shared the link for, is absolutely beautiful.
1: Right? Yeah. Is
0: this your volunteer team, or yes. did you have a professional? team No, to this,
1: this this was. Volunteer team. So this, is one thing. So I reached out to the, you know, because that's the thing. AOTs are, I think, the ultimate human resource, right? Because all of them have gotten a, a degree, at least a degree, often a master's degree in something. N- normally, not English teaching as well, right? And a lot of um, they have passion for the country that the for Japan because they're here and also they have time because A <laughs> R ALTs are not you know don't always have the busiest schedule so you know they, they they were been absolutely amazing so that was definitely the best decision i've made out of the whole project i think is to get them involved and uh,
0: so wonderful yeah
1: and even there's um you can see the and the team um yeah Rachel, for example, is is um, she has experience of working um, as an working for a non profit before coming to Japan. So you've got all these different experiences, you know, different people with different life experiences, which can add something. So reach out, reach out to the ALTs and and other foreigners in in Japan and see if if they want to get involved
0: good advice thank you so much Richard keep up the good work you. you're doing amazing stuff thank
1: you so much I will uh I will be doing my best
0: yeah. I, I look forward to coming and visiting Please you do. um Please
1: do. it's
0: not too far it's about two hours over the mountains from Hiroshima yeah so two hours you is, yeah you on. can cycle that <laughs> <laughs> I get my electric bike exactly out. Yeah.
1: there you go exactly <laughs> yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Richard. That was awesome.
1: Thank you. Have a nice evening and and speak to you again soon.
0: Yes, stay in touch. Thanks, everyone, for watching. We had some great questions and comments today. Uh, Definitely uh, follow the links and uh, reach out to Richard and do one of his tours. Support his uh, sustainable Dyson organization and save the giant salamanders. But not only the salamanders, the whole area.
1: show my tears to you i'm stronger i dropped the armor now i'm bolder